Hey there, everybody. You are listening to This Show is So Gay. I'm your host, Ken Schneck. This is episode number 413. As always, you can get in touch with us by dropping us a line. Send an email on over to ken at thisshowissogay.com. Stroll on over to thisshowissogay.com to learn all about the fun things happening with our little gay radio show that could. You can follow us on Twitter. The handle is This Show Is So Gay. And of course, go on over to that Facebook. Type in This Show Is So Gay. Like us, because we sure as heck like you. We have such a fantastic episode for you this week. Let me introduce our guest. Dana Goldberg is, simply put, one of the most entertaining, hilarious, and on-point voices out there in the world. Voted one of the top five funniest lesbians in America, Dana has toured all over the world, making people laugh as she headlines shows, stars in televised comedy specials, and hosts some of the biggest events and fundraisers out there. Her comedy album, Crossing the Line, and her DVD, Hot and Bothered, are available right there at danagoldberg.com. And her new web series is entitled Out in Left Field, and it's must-see viewing over there on advocate.com. And she will be appearing right here, right here in Cleveland, Ohio, on August 26th as part of the Cleveland Human Rights Campaign's gala. But first, she is here with us. Dana, welcome back to This Show is So Gay. Ken, that is the best intro I've ever heard in my life. I need you to travel with me all the time. Um, I just, as you finish that sentence, put in my notice because that's what I would rather be doing. <laughs> you can open or I'll open for you. I don't care. I'm not picky. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. Dana, we have so much ground to cover. It's been three and a half years since you've been on the show. I would argue things have oh changed. Oh, my God. A little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're all still alive. It's yes. been seven months and we're all still alive. And we will get to that. But first, you, you have to remind our listening audience, where does Dana Goldberg, especially these days, find the funny? Oh, my God. Um, well, obviously politics, Ken. I mean, once we get over the insanity that's happening, I think as comedians, it's our jobs to kind of bring some levity to this crazy time we're living in. So I'm definitely getting a lot of my comedy from politics. Comitics. I'm going to call it comitics, Um, or or comedy, comitics it is. My family, relationships, the world, anything that um, we need to bring some light to is what I find on material, and there's insanity happening every day. Yeah. Your comedy has definitely evolved, though, since you were first on stage, right? I I was so heavy in relationships and, and family, and certainly you talk about that a ton, but would you say that it has indeed gotten more political? Oh, definitely. Um, my relationships have gotten worse, so I figured I'd stop writing about <laughs> comedy about them. <laughs> no, my, um, and uh, isn't that funny? We write about this. Sh- we're just trying to get through. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? We bleep it out. It always works. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I think we write about the things that we need to cope with and stay sane with. And right now, yeah, my comedy has shifted in the last few years to politics, not entirely, but it's definitely part of my routine, more heavy than it was when we spoke last time. Nice. I have to ask you, I can't have you on the show without asking, how's your mom? Oh, my mom is wonderful. Although she, this, this administration is making her lose her mind. We were on the phone the other day, and my mom's very put together, Ken. Like, she's, she's a little paranoid. Like, she doesn't pay her bills online with a credit card because she thinks someone's going to steal her identity. <laughs> so we were on the phone the other day, and she lost it. She was like, Dana, this administration wants me, makes me want to hurt people. Like, I don't want anyone to die. I just want, I just want them to get sick. I want them to get hurt, and I, I paused on the phone, and I was like, whoa. Listen, lady, I don't know who you are or how you got my phone number, but I need you to stop harassing me, and then I hung up. <laughs> she was laughing, but 
I, look, I'm not going down because Barbara Goldberg can't keep her mouth shut on her flip phone. Is basically the, the, the story there. Does she know instantly in some moments you're totally going to use this? Oh, God, yes. I said, well, you know, that's a good question. My mom doesn't realize how funny she is, so I think I warn her. I warn her, say, that is definitely going to end up on stage. That's going to end up in my show. Um, my last episode of Out in Left Field that I just recorded with Fortune Feimster, I have on one of my outtakes, I say my mother's age, but I actually aged her by one year. Oh, no. I got an email almost immediately <laughs> <laughs> that that was the one thing she was upset about in the entire thing is that I... I aged her one year, so I need to be careful about that. I love that story because I wrote the question down. It's on my screen right in front of me. I was going to ask you how is your, and then insert age, and I was going to use the age that you used in Out in Left Field. So that rumor has permeated America. <laughs> yeah, you're not. <laughs> my, yeah, don't don't say that. If she listens to this, I'm going to get in more trouble. Of course, she she pulls the little Jewish guilt thing. She's like, you know, the older you make me, the older you are. And I was like, okay, we'll take it down a notch. We're going to take it down a notch. I get the Jewish guilt in the other direction, where my father calls and says, you should use this that I'm saying right now, because you don't know how much longer I'll be around. That's worse to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're fun. Worse. They're fun. You never know when I'm going to die. Yeah. yeah. They are. They're good. But she's good, and she seems she's wonderful, and I'm going to go see her in September for her birthday. I love it. I love it. Make a good daughter. A good daughter. I love hearing about those moments, and, and we have so many topical things to talk about, but just n not like we have to do Dana Goldberg, This Is Your Life, but I love hearing about, you know, one of those times that you walked off stage and just said, you know what, this totally confirms that I am doing the right thing. Oh, man. That's a really good question, Ken. I think, I don't want to say every time I perform, because that sounds so catchy, like every time I get off stage, it feels amazing, because any comedian <laughs> listening to this knows that's not true. <laughs> I think those times where, oh, you know what, I, I've been doing some award shows in places like Kentucky and HRC galas in places like Saint, um, Salt Lake City and all of these little red places around the country that are really getting the brunt of either this administration or also just what LGBTQ people have to deal with on a daily basis the, with the legislation that's going through. And so I think in communities like that, when I see these people on the ground fighting tooth and nail every day for the rights of their own community, and they're not celebrities and they're not A-listers, they're just putting themselves out there, it fuels me. And then to be able to bring levity and joy to them in the comedy set or to help them raise money, I think those are the days where I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm in my place. This is definitely what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I mentioned the hosting events in, in your bio, and, and certainly you'll be here in just a few weeks. How do you pick out which events you would like to host? Um, I'm a struggling comedian. I pick out any event that comes from kidding. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I, it's, since my career has started to evolve, um, the, the events that come to me are usually worth doing. I hate to say that, but they are, whether it's Trevor Live in L.A. or New York City. You know, I get to share the stage with people like John Oliver and Imagine Dragons. And if I'm doing HRC Gala, it, I will say yes, unless it's a, something I don't believe in. Right. I want to be able to give back to those communities. So to be able to host things like, you know, I get to do the Equality California um, and September 16th here, and they're honoring... Conrad, Conrad, and his last name flew out of my head. He's on uh, How to Get Away with Murder. He's adorable. Conrad. Because I'm going to say his last name is Rigamortis, and that's not it, because I know that no one would ever have that last name, but it sounds like it. <laughs> and then they're honoring them. Conrad Rigamora. Rigamora. And I love him. He's adorable. And then they're honoring Sharon Stone. And so, like, to be able to be involved in these programs with these incredible people 
it's 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 awesome. And then, like I said, I just love making people laugh. And if I can get a dollar out of their bank accounts for some of these great causes, that's just icing on the cake. Nice, nice. Well, I actually sent you this article. It was so funny that this came across my my social media feed as we had you book for the show. And I'm particularly obsessed with it. And I read it probably too many times. But there was an article that was over on Bustle.com by Emma Willman, and it's called "Why I Never Want to Be a Gay Comedian." And in that piece, this is, I'm, of course, you know, I hate just pulling a couple quotes because I don't want to not do this article justice, this op-ed justice. But she says in there, she says, quote, you first need leverage in this industry before shouting, yeah, and I'm queer. You've got to get into the party first. But then once you do, it's hard because everybody wants to keep you in that box. If I play into being the gay comedian and not Emma the comedian, I keep the bar low because then I'm only being compared to gay comedians instead of all comedians. I felt like Dana Goldberg would have the best take on this piece because I, I openly am struggling with it. Okay, so this is the thing. I think Elma Willman, first of all, is incredibly, incredibly talented. If yeah. anyone's ever seen her comedy, I think that she's fantastic. So that being said, everyone is going to have their own experience within this industry. Um, I came out when I started. I wanted to be authentic on stage. Do I know if my career ha would have gone somewhere else? If I had it, I don't know that. It was a personal choice that I made. You know, I look at some of these other people, and because you can use examples from both sides. You can use, you know, Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes did, quote, unquote, mainstream comedy for most of her life, and just recently, in the last however many years, came out because, well, either one, she was big enough that it didn't matter to her, or two, it was a personal choice that it didn't matter to her. So right. I think people are assuming, and there's an assumption that, you get big enough, you get rich enough, you get famous enough, you're going to come out. But there may come a time that you're actually just too tired of struggling within yourself and not being authentic on stage that forces you out, regardless of how much you make, what level you are in your quote-unquote stardom. Yeah. So if that's what Emma feels, and that's her experience, this is the thing. She's got a lot of tapes and a lot of videos that are already online that are talking about gay relationships and talking about her lesbian experience. I don't know if she's planning on taking all of those down. You know, at this point, there's nothing I can do. Like, a tabloid for me would be like, Dana Goldberg seen with some guy in a grocery store. Is she straight now? Like, that would be my, that would be my tabloid. There's nothing that they could say about me, about my sexual orientation that the world doesn't already know because I've been doing this for 14 years on stage. You know, Ken, I, what I struggle with the article is that she feels like in order to hit her success in the world that she has to hide, right. in a sense, who she is. But this is the thing that caught me with that quote. She, I don't label myself as a gay comedian. I'm a comic. Other people label me. And the reason other people label anybody is to make themselves feel more comfortable. That's it. Right. I'm a lesbian comic, makes them more comfortable. Chris Rock, he's a black comedian, fine, that makes them more comfortable. If that's what makes other people comfortable, that's theirs to deal with. I am not going to go through my life adjusting who I am to continue to make other people comfortable in their own very small minds. That's my take on that. Yeah. And I would push you further on that because you've gone so far as to be a part of these incredible lineups and help organize these incredible lineups of LGBTQ comics. And it strikes me there's just such a power in seeing a show like that and having a lineup that is that focused. I agree with you. And the other thing that I think that we can all agree on is funny is funny. Yeah. 
it doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight. And like she said in the article, and I feel like the article for herself is very well, well written, that we basically all have the same life experiences. Right. We all have crazy families. We all have dysfunctional families. If you take the pronouns out of your comedy, anyone can relate to them. The yeah. thing is, is that an audience, the other thing is if you're hiding who you are or you are actively avoiding a topic that is completely obvious to the audience, and I'm not saying Emma is completely obviously gay, I do think that she can come off that way just because she's got that short spiky hair and just the way she talks and that, you know, she's got that cute little butch thing going. She's adorable. So if she doesn't talk about it, I do think there's an opportunity for the audience to be like, this is really awkward. Like we already know why is she dancing around this or why did she just say he like that sort of thing. I feel like it could backfire, but if she knows what she's doing, I wish her all the best. Like I said, I think she's incredibly funny. She was on the Stephen Colbert show for God's sake. She's doing something right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I talk about it when I'm on stage as I did all weekend, just because look, I'm single and I'm looking for dates. And if the audience is going to set me up, <laughs> I want them to get it right. This is, I use, I use being on stage as my okay Cupid at this point. So I just want them to, you know, get the right guy for me. I love that. Are you yeah. on like like Grinder and Scruff or whatever they use? I am. I don't know what I'm really doing there. I mean, I'm the guy who's got the profile that says, I'm a professor. Like, it's just terrible. It's not working out for that's, me. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? That would be hot. So I'm sure any student that's like, oh, I'm Scruff. See, I, I don't, there's no, like, I think there should be a lesbian dating site called Muff. If you have Scruff, we should get Muff. Like, that would make, although the swiping would be weird. Do you know what I mean? Um... I, I've never done online dating. Uh, I think, I don't know. I think it would be really fun to just like Tinder around, like Tinder across the country. I love the idea that when I next introduce you on this show, I'm also going to be saying the CEO of Muff. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes. Which you kind if of already are. I'm stuck. I am. <laughs> I might actually be the vice president. I'm sure someone's getting more than I am. I'm just looking to be the secretary. That's always the role that I want in these organizations. Yeah, and by somebody, I mean everybody. <laughs> Again, listeners, we are here with Dana Goldberg. By the way, Dana Goldberg, no stranger to doing radio. I was trying to look up old episodes of the Dana Goldberg show and not so straight talk with Dana Goldberg. You, you, you've done the radio. I have. Um, those episodes, I think, are long gone. When I was in Albuquerque, so gosh, I've been gone for, that was probably 10 years ago. Um, I had done some radio on Clear Channel uh, before it moved to iHeart, and uh, yeah, I had the first gay quote-unquote radio show um, in New Mexico, which caused a huge problem because the station was owned by the elders in the Mormon church in Utah. So when they found out the show was running, they were like, nope, pull it. And then it was really crazy because all these conservative talk show hosts were like, no, let it run. This station needs this sort of like diversity and mixture so they let the show run which was so much fun and then so now what I do is I'm not sure if you're familiar and if you're not you should be but I'm a weekly guest on Stephanie Miller show yes. on series 127 I love it so every Thursday every Thursday morning from 8 to 9 um, at least California time I get to go on and talk politics with Stephanie and she's one of the most brilliant minds right now leading the resistance when it comes to talk radio she's phenomenal I'm super intimidated by her. She's just so lightning quick. Exactly, exactly. Being in the room, I mean, I feel like I can hold a conversation with people when it comes to politics, but when I'm in the room with Stephanie, holy crap, you got to keep up because she is so quick, oh, so quick. So great on yeah, that show. Yeah, she's also wonderful. I mean, she's, she's 
freaking hysterical and she's a wonderful human and doing good things in the world too so everybody's got it like you we're all trying we're all trying but you have a distinction that not all of us have dana goldberg you can put right there on your resume dana goldberg blocked by president trump oh yes i got blocked by trump it's so hard for me to put those two words together (laughs) oh we're going to talk about that in a second but first it's so hilarious i actually had seen online that you i saw that you had tweeted out that you got blocked but i didn't actually know i figured and and i apologize for making assumptions i made an ass out of me when i made the assumption that you said like you had to have said something like you called his wife melanoma or whatever it was i thought it was something direct tell everybody the tweet that got you blocked by President Donald Trump. Yes. So on Twitter, what happened is, and this is how I feel about um, Trump, he is a very narcissistic man. So whenever he tweets, he's right there watching to see who's liking it and who's retweeting it and all of that. So I've been doing, you know, I've been quote unquote trolling him for months because that's how he communicates with the world. So as a comedian, I'm going to retort in 140 characters or less. So what happened this day is that it was when McCain got sick and he went into the hospital and we found out that it was a brain tumor. Now, Trump decided he was going to tweet because that's what he's supposed to do. Melania and I wish McCain well. We hope he gets better quickly. All the blessings, blah, blah, blah. Now, obviously, if anyone's been paying attention to him for the last year or two while he's been running, he doesn't like McCain. He doesn't respect McCain when he lost the presidential bid. He called him a loser. He doesn't like losers when he was captured in war. He doesn't call him a war hero. So I just tweeted something very honest and said, that's really funny that you respect him now. You didn't respect him when he was a captured war hero. You just need his, vo- just need his vote. And he did. He just needed his vote on the health the healthcare bill. And I just said, you're a really sad man. And then I wish the McCain family well. And honestly, that's what got me blocked, which shocked me, Ken, because I have written some other crazy stuff <laughs> to Trump since he's been in office. But what happens, and I said this on my web series, is that if you trigger him, and he is an easily triggered man, he has a very, very large ego and a very small self-confidence, he is very easily triggered. And what will happen is if you bring up something that you have proof of from the past and directly put it in his face in opposition to what he's saying of the present, he wants to get rid of you because he doesn't want history of that being put out into the world. Yeah. So that's why I got blocked. But what's amazing is that he had blocked some rocket scientists months ago. Well, because rocket scientists are smarter than Trump, and so is my cat and the tree outside my apartment and the rock that I'm looking at. But rocket scientists are smarter than him. That rocket scientist created an app. And I actually have it downloaded. So now when um, Trump tweets, I can see them and I can still respond to them, but he cannot respond back to me. I want to hear more on this because I want to know where you were when you discovered the president of the United States just blocked me on Twitter because the, it really is an unbelievable sentence. And I've been thinking about this a lot it, as I see other people getting blocked. I actually, as much as I enjoy open access to my local politicians, I actually don't want my president interacting with the citizenry in such a way where he's saying, I, I, no, I'm blocking Goldberg. That's happening today. Well, the bottom line is good. If this guy's in public office, and we've heard time and time again, he and Spicer, before he checked out, said these are official statements from the White House. Now, yes. I want you to think about that. If these are official statements, he shouldn't be able to block anybody. It would be like him giving the State of the Union and then blacking out every television of the people who voted for Hillary Clinton. You don't have that kind of power. Right. You should never have that kind of power. But let's go the other direction, where it was an official statement 
of the president of the United States to block Dana Goldberg. <laughs> you know what? At this point, I'll take it. It's so funny. I have—I was telling my mother, I was like, I have shared the stage with Meryl Streep. I have worked with Katy Perry. And for some reason, people are most proud of this accomplishment in my career. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. It's seen as a badge of honor now. How did you tell your mom? Oh, God. That's funny. I called her and I was like, you'll never guess what happened. And she was like, what? And I was like, Trump blocked me on Twitter. And she, my mother's first response is, he can't come after your family, can he? And I was like, okay, take it down a notch, first of all. I think there are other families that if he was going to take out are way higher on that than the ladder than, than Goldberg's. Um, but she's so funny like that. She worries about me. You know, I have a public voice and, you know, she doesn't want some nut job coming to one of my shows or threatening me on, you know, the social media or the social media. (laughs) Jesus, see, I turn into her. I'm like the Instagram, the social media. There's no the, it's just social media. I'm channeling a 72-year-old Jewish woman. I think her daughter getting blocked by the president of the United States aged her one year and thus why you perhaps slipped up a bit there. So I'm just trying to make excuses here. That could be. She's so proud of me, though. I like I said, though, I don't, I don't, it doesn't really matter what I do. It doesn't matter. I think I could have a sibling. Like, can I could have a brother that would rob a bank and go to prison? And my mom would be like, Joey, Joey's good, came into a lot of money, moved into a gated community. And then I'd have to be like, no, he's in prison. That's not what happened. He could run he faster. Me. We don't know. He, he could. So, yeah, that's what happened with the old, uh, the old president of the United States. It is funny to say I got blocked on Twitter by the president of the United States of America. I miss Obama so much. Yeah. I miss him yeah. so much. Shoot, at this point, I actually miss George Bush, and I never right. thought I'd say that. And I assume that there's some sort of secret society of people who have been blocked, and you guys all get together. Well, there's a big thing online. It's called the Trump Block Party. So I know that there's a big thing there. And on Twitter, there's also the same. They have a handle, the Trump block party. It's just really amusing. It's like, you know, uh, Keith Oberman just got blocked. Rosie just got blocked. He's blocked my favorite author when I was a kid, uh, Stephen. Why can't I think of his name? Totally. Cra- he writes the craziest stories, the, the horror stories. Stephen King. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you yeah, I can totally see your face right now. You were like, this can't be right. Yes. Stephen King. And then, you know, there's just a bunch of other randoms, I think, that he, like I said, if I had tweeted that out later, I don't think he would have seen it. But I tweeted within like a minute of his post. And so what happened is it showed up because if you tweet later, it gets buried. Right. No one sees it. There's so many people tweeting and retweeting and liking and commenting that it it gets buried. And the other thing I think that's funny is he thinks all of his followers, you know, there's probably a million or two that are actually, you know, Russian bots. But he also thinks the rest of them are supporters like, like him yeah they're supporters yeah and no a lot of people follow him just to see the insanity you know i did an article for the ap and she said do you want to see twitter block him and 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 get rid of his account because he does break a lot of rules that other people have to abide by on twitter and i said absolutely not i want the entire world to see what 62 million people voted for right because it blows my mind right i want him to solidify his legacy of being a completely incompetent president and just kind of a gross guy publicly it's yeah. going to be public and he can't get rid of those things once they're there they're there you know scaramucci thinks that he can erase tweets they're still there right <laughs> what do you make of these folks who who seem to have built their career and reputation waiting for him to tweet and responding within two or three milliseconds that is really interesting see i can't um i have 
I, I wish them the best. I mean, if anyone can, seems to find a way to make fame in this world, you know, granted, I get frustrated sometimes because there's YouTubers that have, you know, 10 million view, followers, and I'm not exactly sure what they do right. um, in, in, contrib in contribution to the world. I know that there's some that contribute a lot. Like, you know, some of these young LGBTQ kids that are talking about their transition, and whether it's a transgender young woman or young man that is talking about their transition on YouTube, like, I see that as, you know, being a, a very productive member of society and really giving people something that is important. But with these guys that are taking over Twitter, you know, hey, if that's the way they're going to do it, it's great. I, in a way, wish that I knew how to manipulate the system a little bit more because the bottom line is, is once you get followers, you can use that in any ways to promote your work. Right. So, you know, if, if you've got a million followers, those are a million people that are going to go listen to the show So Gay. If I've got a million followers, those are a million more people that will know I'm performing in Denver or whatever. Right. So there's a way to utilize that. And so I, I can't. I can't fault them. They've managed to figure out how to do it. Yeah. In some ways, I wish I was more savvy. You know, I feel so. I feel so old. Everyone's like, "Use Snapchat," and I'm like, "What the hell are you talking about? I can't. I can't function with Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, Tumblr. I don't even know if people are still using that. I have no idea. I don't. I don't know if people are still on MySpace. Do people still use MySpace? I love that Dana Goldberg and I are still hanging out on Friendster. This is a good thing. Oh my god! Seriously, <laughs> thanks for thanks for paging me earlier to know that to remind me about the show. I feel I don't know what's happening. I felt like you couldn't see the semaphores from where you were sitting, so I felt I felt like paging would be a good idea. So there you go. Might as well send a messenger pigeon next time. At least that'll make more sense to me. I love it. Well, uh, speaking of promoting your work. Tell everybody about Out in Left Field. So Out in Left Field, I really wanted to start a podcast, and um, I couldn't find the platform I wanted to do it on, and I figured, like I said, all these you know, people are, you know, these millions of hits that are happening on videos, so I was like, okay, I have a message. What do I want to do? So basically, I created a, a weekly web series with The Advocate, and it is satirical comedy mixed with politics. So I'm looking at these insane headlines and trying to bring some levity to them because some of them are so heavy. You know, and some of them are ridiculous. And so for the first um, about two or three minutes of every episode, I have a monologue and I'm talking about the news and making jokes, and whether it's the administration or legislation that's trying to be passed on our community. There is humor that can be found in almost every situation if you can separate yourself from it. So that's my job. After I do my intro, I always have a guest. So uh, the first three episodes I've had comedians. The first one was Dana Eagle. I had the pleasure of interviewing Margaret Cho for episode two. And then the one that's running right now before I drop a new one is with Fortune Themester. So that one's got a lot of pickup, which is great. And it's still on advocate.com. Uh, people can go watch it there. If you're on their Facebook, you can go to the advocate page. They have got it in their video section and you can share it. And at the end of every video, I keep in the outtakes because I think they're really fun. They're some of my favorite parts of like television shows and movies when I get to see people that look super professional and know what they're doing just screw up. Like their humanity is some of the most beautiful parts of them. One of the pieces that you continuously struggle with is saying the title of Donald Trump. Yes. I, yes. I, every time I say the, 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 the P word mixed with his name, I have a little bit of a gag reflex. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I, I hope this ends sooner than later. I can't actually believe that he's in this position. Um, but at the same time, when we've seen everything that helped him get there, I don't think it would have mattered who was running against him. Because, you know, I know there may be some Bernie supporters listening, but in my opinion, uh, Hillary Clinton was the most qualified candidate we've ever had uh, running for president, at least in, in my lifetime. 
so yeah, it saddens me that she's not in there and we're stuck with this. You can bleep this out. We're stuck with this show for however long until either my hope is that we can flip the Senate or the House in 2018 and then at least get some checks and balances in back into our um, administration. So yeah. that's my hope. But yeah, that's uh, so the web series. Yeah, I'm going to put out a new episode once a week. My, my guest this week, um, by the time this airs, we'll have already filmed. So you'll be able to go to advocate.com on Thursday of this week and download the new episode with the incredible musician Rabel. And if you're not familiar with Rabel, he, um, he sang the song 10 Feet Tall, and he just dropped this incredible video called The Village. And it's this in very touching, um, emotional song about a young girl's transition and how her family basically is in direct opposition to this. And basically the, the message behind it is it's not you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's The Village. So don't don't think this is you. And so Rabel's going to come on and talk about his video and what um, encouraged him to do that. And I know that he started writing it when um, the administration and DeVos took away uh, trans rights in the schools to be able to to protect them and to be able to choose the bathroom that most identifies with um, how they feel on the inside. So there's so much happening. And so I really love that there are musicians, comedians, late night talk show hosts, podcast hosts like yourself that are using a voice and really trying to fight this hateful rhetoric that is coming out of so many places in power right now, mainly the administration. I know I'm harping on it, but, I mean, we saw it happen two weeks ago with the ban for transgender yeah. military. You know, it's just ridiculous, especially when part of his campaigning was this crap about how he's going to protect our community. And we all, it's amazing that 19, I think either 14 or 19, I think it's 14% of the LGBTQ community voted for this guy. Right. Like that is mind blowing to me. So I, it'd be interesting to talk to some of those people and still if they see if they still feel the same way about their vote now that he's kind of trying to destroy some of the rights of the T and the LGBT. Because we have to remember that all of those letters, you know, hold equal weight. And I'm, I'm really tired of some of this community turning against their own. It, yeah. It's really disheartening. You know, one of the reasons that I enjoy Out in Left Field so much is because this isn't just you doing an opening monologue with jokes and stuff. You, you, they're in your eyes, and people can see it. There is astonishment that, that some of these stories are actually true. And so you are smiling, and you're almost, you're not chuckling through them. You're making jokes, and, and I, again, I love your commentary. But there's also this sense of, yes, I can't believe this is happening either. Yeah, it is ridiculous. So, Ken, thank you for watching that, and I appreciate the plug, and I hope everyone goes and supports it and shares it. Um, they're fun, and, you know, they're between six and ten minutes, so it's not too much of everyone's lifetime, but it's a project that I always wanted to do, and hopefully it's going to turn into a podcast or a talk show one day, and I'll be able to get it out there even further. Now, does Ray Bull get to sit down? Because Fortune Feimster did not get to sit down. Yeah, I think Rabel's going to sit down only because the reason I wanted Fortune to stand up with me is because I, I was looking at, you know, I, I'm open to feedback with these. And what's really amazing is, like, there has been no negative feedback. Whether people have thought it or not, I, I'm blown away at the respect because people get so much courage, you know this, when they're yeah. behind a keyboard to just tear apart someone's work. And everyone's been really, really supportive. So either I'm doing something right or people are just like, eh, it's not worth it, but for um, Fortune, I realized in the first two interviews there was some there was something disjointed for me, and I thought that the energy was coming down a little bit. So I thought, let's try standing up and see if that keeps the energy up. And whether it was Fortune and the fact that we're friends and we have a really great banter, or the setup just worked, I'm not sure. But with Rabel, because he's not really a like jokey comedy guy, um, we're going to probably have a little bit more of a serious conversation. So 
Um, I'm going to decide probably the day of shoot whether or not we'll be sitting or standing up. So it's all going to be a big surprise. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Who is Dana Goldberg as an interviewer? How would you describe your style as, as you're working with these different guests? Because it's a bit of a different role. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, I think it's just, well, I've been lucky enough to at least meet or know all of my guests thus far, so we have a nice little friendly rapport. But the bottom line is is that I just want to give them as much love as I possibly can and let them promote the crap out of everything they're doing because they're taking time out of their busy day to come in and chat with me for a half an hour. And so it's my way of just saying thank you. Like there are so many talented people in this world that some people will either not hear about or they don't they're just not on the right outlet to find out about them so if i can introduce them to even one more fan or someone that's going to become a fan and spread the word i feel great about it like i'm getting my props at the beginning i get to show off my talent at the beginning and then i really just want to make them feel comfortable and like banter with me it's a really relaxed interview setting I want them to be funny. I want them to be themselves and just be who they are. And what's you know nice is if something comes out that we're like, okay, that's ridiculous, or if there's a mistake that was made during the interview, we can always cut it out, use it in our outtakes, and use a little bit of levity at the end. The show just plain works, Dana. It just works. That is incredibly sweet. And coming from you with having a show that has now had 413 episodes, <laughs> it's a huge compliment, Ken. So thank you very much. I still giggle when I hear that number. It's just ridiculous. But yay, we're still going. You're 10. I still, gi- I still giggle when I write down my age. So I'm like, that can't be right. That cannot be right. Now when I have to like register for stuff or I have to go book a flight, you know how you have to scroll to find the year you were born? I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. This is a lot of scrolling. There's too much scrolling happening right now. It really is an eight-year-old registering for a car. Could we just not start with 1988 or something like that? Come on. (laughs) Thank you. I saw something. I saw a meme today when they were like, this is how you feel when someone's like 20 years ago and you're like, yeah, 1987 was ridiculous. And then you realize, oh my God, 20 years ago was 1997. Yeah. Do you realize that this next graduating class, Ken, is going to be everyone born in the 2000s? Yeah, no. The um, graduating class of 2018, everyone was born in 2000. Uh huh. Let's keep in mind, I'm a college professor. I'm struggling every year. My references, I'm like, what do you mean you don't know soap? And I don't even know soap, and yet I'm bringing it up. Oh, my God, that's so funny. Yeah, it is trying to, someone in Fortune said something that was cut out, but she said something that she uses for social media, and I was like, yep, going to have to Google that. I know the millennials know what that is, but I have no idea what you just said. I try. I try. I mean, that's one of the things about my comedy. I'm pretty lucky that the younger generation can still... um, uh, what is it called? See, I'm also losing my brain. I think I need ginkgo. Um, they can still relate to it. The younger generation can still relate to it. I still feel like I'm fun and I can hang. And then there's an older generation because of the smartness. The smartness? Is that a word? Let's go for it. The intellect. The intellect of my comedy, I feel like I can relate to an older crowd as well that um, likes to get into a little bit more of the politics. And don't get me wrong, the younger crowd, man, they are so savvy these days. I'll tell you what, I wish I was as educated and I knew who I was in high school and college, like these ones do, I would be so much happier. Like these voices coming out of this younger generation, I'm so proud of so many of them. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I do need a list, though. I don't need a list of what's currently trending. I need a list of the things that I talk about that they don't know anymore because I name-checked Bobcat Goldthwait on stage the other night. That did not work at all. <laughs> That's awesome. I was, God, I'm, I'm trying to think if I have any reference like that. Where I'm like, they're not going to understand what the hell I just said. 
I, I don't think I have anything yet, but there's definitely something that's going to come up where I'm going to get crickets. Oh yeah, and they're 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 gonna have. I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, that one was just for me. Yeah, the joke was just for me, and the four people over forty in this room. That was it. Yeah, no, the the joke worked better when I had them convinced he was an endangered some sort of feline of some way. So it's yeah, <laughs> I need a list. I need a list. By the way, if not for out in left field, I would not know that perhaps at some point in my life. Dana Goldberg served me a drink at Applebee's. 11 years. I was a bartender for 11 years at Applebee's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Man, I tell you what, and people are like, oh my God, how boring or whatever. I, one, I loved bartending. And two, I don't know how this happened because like the Applebee's was in a fairly affluent neighborhood. Not that I lived there. I traveled there for work. But there were bar fights. There was a stabbing. I, Applebee's was probably like, shut, shut, shut this down. Shut this episode down. Um, it was just, it was situational, but I had some of the craziest experiences behind the bar. I had some jerk try and get me fired because I was gay. Wow. Um, because he, he, he wanted to tell racist jokes at my bar and I would say, no, you're not allowed to. He'd be like, hey, Dana, you want to hear this joke? And then he would start and I'd be like, nope, I don't actually. And I don't want you to tell that to anyone else sitting around you. <laughs> and then um, he came in one day hammered, hammered. And um, he admitted it out loud. He was like, oh my God, I had something about being drunk. And he ordered a drink and I looked at him and I was like, I can't serve you. And he's like, what do you mean you can't serve me? And I was like, you just said, you just told me you're drunk. I cannot serve you. You are intoxicated. There is a law that says I cannot serve you. And the next day my manager pulled me over, uh, pulled me over, pulled me aside and said, hey, we've been hearing some complaints that it's worse than Girls Gone Wild in here and the lesbians and you. And I was like, I'm sorry, who said that? And he told me and I was like, yeah, I know what happened. So and what's funny is that that guy, um, I had a fairly homophobic manager that worked with me and uh, that guy complained to him. And so his, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll call him Scott because that's what his name was. But um, so Scott uh, basically was more than happy to try and uh, get me fired as well. And um, so what happened was I sat down with my general manager, who's a good friend of mine. And I'm like, this is what's going on. Um, and he, he definitely backed me up and the, the district manager backed me up. But, Scott went in and he had to talk to this guy and he was like, you know, we're not going to fire her. And he was like, why not? He's like, we can't just fire her. And the guy turns around and he goes, why are you gay too? You sound gay. And that's all it needed to do was accuse a homophobic bigot of being gay. And he was like, no. Nope. And then there was a restraining order against this guy. <laughs> so I just needed him to insult someone that would be so offended by it that he would actually not stand up for me, but just be so pissed off that he put a restraining, a restraining order on the guy. I love oh, it. Those were the days. I love it. And we do want to pause here and welcome our two new sponsors to the show. That would be Applebee's Neighborhood Grill and Bar and Muff, <laughs> the dating app for traveling comedians. So it's all good. All good. Oh Dana Goldberg, what is coming up for you that you're excited about? We have a new episode of Out in Left Field. You're going to be here in Cleveland for the HRC Gala. What else is on your plate? I always see your plate as being quite full. I'm grateful my plate is full. Um, I will be at a women's weekend this weekend in Folsom, California called Indulge. Uh, they have this incredible event once a year at a, a kind of this very sweet bed and breakfasty kind of hotel that's owned by a lesbian. So I'll be out there for women's weekend. And then I am, what is my schedule? September, I'm going to be doing Chefs for Equality in Washington, D.C. It's this wonderful event for the Human Rights Campaign. If there's foodies out there listening and you live in the area, one ticket actually gets you into this huge room, Ken. And it's 100 of the best chefs in D.C. and like 30 of the best bartenders and all these pastry chefs. 
Wow. It is the best gig. So I'll be doing a live auction there. And then, as I said earlier, I'll be doing some comedy and raising some money at Equality California on September 16th here in Los Angeles. And then at the end of September, I'll be back in St. Louis for the HRC Gala there. And then I have a bunch of other stuff in October, November. So just um, people want to find out, you know that they can go to DanaGoldberg.com. And if you want to support me on Twitter, which I would love that, so we can get all these messages out to these moronic people, uh, my Twitter handle is DG Comedy. Nice. I have to ask you, you, you do all these different HRC galas. Do they feel different from city to city? Is the St. Louis one, does that one feel different than the Cleveland one? That's a really good question. Um, there's definitely some that feel like Groundhog's Day because I'm in a room full of insanely attractive gay men right. and beautiful women all dressed up. And so I look out and I have to be like, what city am I in? But... Um, I think what sets different cities apart, and I, I said this a little bit earlier, are just the hometown heroes that, like, boots on the ground are doing stuff. Like, when I was in Salt Lake City, I was blown away. I don't think a lot of people know this, but there was a kind of a, not a halfway house, but a home that was created for LGBTQ Mormon youth to protect them. It's called Encircle. Wow. And so they kind of encircle the youth, and then they encircle the families and keep them safe from the community and also edu- educate the community. But this thing was helped started by Steve Young, the quarterback for the 49ers. Wow. And his wife, Barbara. So Barbara and Steve Young, who I would have never imagined um, being involved in this because I did not know that they were connected, are huge advocates of our community. Barbara goes every year to Trevor Project in L.A. and New York, and Steve goes to the galas in Salt Lake City. So I think what happens in each city is that there's always these local awards that are given by HRC, and so you get to see these incredible companies or these people that are putting themselves out there every day and changing the communities they live in. And those are the reasons that each city feels different to me. Yeah. Because if I didn't have that, I would actually forget where I was. But I could probably tell you in the last year, and I, I do a dozen of these a year, my favorite parts and who was at these cities because they, they are burned into my memory. Those are the things that feed me, and I feel so honored to be a part of it. I've managed to find a way to make people laugh and help raise money, and right now, I tell you what, with everything that's going on, people are so fired up to help because there's a lot of people that have deep wallets, and I think they know that there's some people that don't, and those people, a lot of them that are you know, in these rural areas in our country that don't feel safe in their own communities, it's so awesome to see people in New York donating tens of thousands of dollars to help protect people in Alabama. And, you know, people in Los Angeles that they know when they donate, that money is going to go to, you know, right into Ohio, into Cleveland. It's, it's so awesome to see. I think that's the one thing that I can say that has come out of this administration is that communities are speaking out for other communities that they don't necessarily belong to with a firsthand basis, but they are connected to you know, in, in however many degrees of separation. People are speaking up for the Muslim community, and they're obviously not part of it. You know, people are speaking up for Black Lives Matter. There are straight people speaking up for the trans ban with our military. I don't know if this would have happened if Hillary had won. Right. And so if we're going to try and find some light at this rainbow, and we always do as a gay community, I think it's that we are finally really, we've got a fire under our ass and we are doing everything we can to continue the fight forward that we saw happening with the eight years under the Obama administration. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that if someone's like, God, all of this is gloom and doom and there's nothing positive happening, just remember that 
the ACLU has gotten more donations in the last seven months than they've gotten in a decade. The Human Rights Campaign has just started one of their biggest grassroots efforts to help flip the House and the Senate in 2018. There are people fighting. So if people want to get involved, there are so many organizations like the Human Rights Campaign or the Trevor Project or Equality Ohio that people can reach out to and really get involved firsthand. And trust me, it matters. There it is. Every single volunteer matters. There it is. Listeners, this is what we need you to go do. Stroll on over to DanaGoldberg.com, and you can see her schedule there. You can purchase a DVD. You can download her comedy. There's so much happening over there. You must, you must follow her on Twitter. Again, that handle is DG Comedy, DG Comedy on Twitter. And new episodes coming out every week of Out in Left Field. That's over on Advocate.com. I have to tell you, Dana, I absolutely adore you. You are the perfect example of what we've been talking about, you know, for years now, for for years and years on this show, of someone using their voice in their own unique way to make a difference in this world. And you are embracing what's happening around you. You are ridiculously entertaining. And you're so unbelievably accessible. And it just, it makes your comedy more entertaining. It makes us open our eyes more. And you are so making a difference. And we appreciate it, Dana. Ken, you just made my heart explode. That was, I, I must have tears. I Thank you so much for everything you just said. It's nice to know that I'm doing something right. I'm just, I'm glad that something's working. And so thank you so much for having me back on. I will come on and play with you anytime you want. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? My dad said be an actor, my son. But be a comical one, they'll be standing in line. All right, folks, and we are back. Well, we do indeed have time left on this week's episode to get to all of the latest LGBTQ news that's out there. But first, how much do you love that Dana Goldberg? My gosh, I absolutely love taking the time to speak with her. She is using her voice to entertain and to make a difference. We all need to be doing that. Well, third week in a row, we have to talk about President Trump's three-tweet ban on our trans brothers and sisters serving in the military. Big update this week, five active-duty transgender service members filed the first lawsuit this week against President Trump's directive to prohibit transgender individuals from serving in the armed forces. The service members who are not named all say they have relied on the Defense Department's current policy permitting open service by transgender service members and argue that President Trump's ban, which may result in early termination or failure to renew their contracts, is unconstitutional. The president's three-tweet plan to stop them from serving has yet to be formally implemented, but attorneys for the service members have asked a federal court in Washington to block it immediately. Trump's directive has, quote, already resulted in immediate concrete injury to plaintiffs by unsettling and destabilizing the plaintiff's reasonable expectation of continued service. That is what these five plaintiffs argued in a court filing. They added that the White House has turned Trump's tweets into, quote, Quote, official guidance approved by the White House Counsel's Office to be communicated to the Department of Defense. The Defense Department, however, is still awaiting formal guidelines on implementation from the White House. Yeah, shock of shockers, it was done through tweets. They were three tweets. But yes, the Defense Department said we have not received this formal guidance. That's Lieutenant Colonel Paul Haverstick. He told that to CNN. The Pentagon declined to comment on the lawsuit. There you go. It goes on and on. This guy, 
who is the president. I know, Dana Goldberg, you struggle to say President Trump, and so do I. It defies conception, but he is the president. Right there, he tweets, it becomes policy, and now they are being sued. That's the federal government being sued by five out trans members of the military who are serving and who are brave, and they have made this choice, and they are being told through three tweets, no. Speaking of tweets, Twitter can be a breeding ground for hateful comments, especially homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. One university professor was more than miffed when he was scrolling through the social platform and stumbled across tweets from one of his students. The student had been using the platform as a voice for his homophobia. Some of the vile homophobia was aimed at his genetics teacher, Eric Mendenhall. Mendenhall is an assistant professor of genetics at the University of Alabama. His student wrote about Mendenhall, quote, my genetics teacher is A, and then he used the F word. Clearly, he did not expect his teacher to come across these hateful comments, and Mendenhall did not let these comments slide. He confronted the student. Mendenhall tweeted back to him, I don't condone the use of that term, and it has no bearing on my ability to teach you genetics. See you on Thursday. Well, over 30,000, because we covered this story, this was a few months ago, over 30,000 people shared and liked Mendenhall's tweet with hundreds of people praising the professor's response. After going viral, the teacher added that he felt compelled to call the student out in hopes of fighting future homophobia. He wrote, quote, each generation shedding some of the hate and bigotry of their parents' generation is a key part of being human. The student was apparently quite mortified. He deleted his account. Many people continued to criticize the stupid actions of the student who had followed the teacher after he posted this offensive tweet. Others celebrated the teacher. Someone wrote, quote, pro tip, don't tweet horrible things about people on the Google machine. Mendenhall has promised this has no bearing on anybody's grades. But we love that. We love that if you see something, say something. That's actually how this works. And so we think, oh, the professor shouldn't say anything because of their power. No, he's specifically saying, here are the boundaries. It's not going to affect your grades. But at the same time, yeah, you can't actually say stuff like this, especially if you say it publicly and I saw it, I'm going to call you out on it. So I should probably tell my students, yeah, if I see it, I'm probably going to say something. Sorry, guys. That's actually what happens. Let's go overseas and talk about Australia for a second. Australia's former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, has urged citizens to vote no on equal marriage because he wants to, quote, stop political correctness. The country's current right-wing Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, has repeatedly blocked a free vote in Parliament on equal marriage despite overwhelming public support. That's actually what's happening in Australia right now. Currently, the legislature does not recognize ceremonies performed outside of the country despite not permitting same-sex marriages. This means that the country does not recognize marriages and thus divorce proceedings are near impossible to complete in the country, a factor that is costing Australia over $500 million. There's real economic impacts to this. Despite the cost, same-sex marriage could be legal in Australia by December, given a majority of parliamentarians and voters now support it. But the former prime minister is set on stopping the change from happening, saying that voters should choose no when the vote happens. He said, quote, if you don't like same-sex marriage, vote no. If you are worried about freedom of speech and freedom of religion, vote no. If you don't like political correctness, vote no, because this is the best way to stop it in its tracks. Well, no, sir. It's actually really not about political correctness. It's about equality. We will see what happens there in Australia. We actually have an Australian on next week's episode. On next week's episode, we have the wonderful and talented and just ridiculous 
ridiculously award-winning Marin Johns, the editor-in-chief of Curve Magazine. So excited to talk to her. And we will be asking her, hey, any differences about doing this work in Australia and doing this work in the United States? You can tune into that. Just go on over to thisshowissogay.com and you can subscribe. If you click on the iTunes button, you can subscribe on iTunes and you will automatically get the episodes downloaded every single week. Let's get back to the news. A gay man in the U.S. has filed a federal lawsuit after months of abuse led to his house being burnt down. Randy Gamel Medler of Hitchcock, Oklahoma, was threatened initially at a September 2016 town council meeting. He had lived in the town for just a month when he experienced a racist slur at the meeting because his son is African-American. Despite a police report being filed at the time, no action was taken. He said this, quote, we were terrorized, murder threats were being made against our seven-year-old African-American son, town officials conspired to run us out of office, all while local law enforcement ignored our pleas for help. Meredith Norris, one of the trustees, had seen him in the yard and asked if he was our son. She said to me, what are you going to do when your house burns down and we don't send out the fire trucks? While the federal lawsuit is filed naming nine individuals, he had called police in May when he heard glass breaking in his home. When he noticed the fire in his garage, he called the fire brigade who did not arrive until his six-bedroom home had entirely burnt to the ground. Unbelievable. Hitchcock, Oklahoma. He recalled another incident when he was told by another person, you effing queer, I'm going to grab your little boy, and then the quote goes on, I can't even say that. But this actually still happens in our country. We cover stories like this because we need to know that things like this still happen in our country. So much work to do. How about some Chuck Norris news? Now, that's a phrase I've never said in the history of this show is so gay. Former film star Chuck Norris has backed a disgraced homophobic Republican's bid for the United States Senate. Chuck Norris, who is famous for his appearance in 1980s martial arts films, is an outspoken Republican and Trump supporter. The former actor spoke out this week to give his backing to an anti-LGBT Republican, Roy... Moore, of all people. Roy Moore, who is the disgraced former Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, is making a bid for the United States Senate seat vacated by Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Moore, of course, because we talk about him all the time on this show, is most famous for abusing his authority as Alabama's elected Chief Justice in a bid to block gay weddings in the state. The disgraced justice has issued a string of orders declaring the U.S. Supreme Court ruling on equal marriage doesn't apply. That is a quote from Roy Moore, the former Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, who said that the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court ruling on equal marriage, doesn't apply in Alabama due to states' anti-gay laws and ordered probate judges to enforce a gay marriage ban. He faced action from the Judicial Inquiry Commission over his illegal orders and was found to have, quote, flagrantly disregarded and abused his authority in his crusade against gay weddings. Moore was found guilty of all six charges brought against him and dismissed from his role for the shocking abuse of power. Normally, I would think that would result in someone's time in public office being over, but apparently what it means to Roy Moore is, huh, I guess I should run for the Senate. And not only am I going to run for the Senate, but he quickly got the endorsement of Chuck 
Norris, of all people. He, after he was suspended, uh, Roy Moore hit back by blaming radical homosexuals for the decision to remove him and vowing to pursue a career in politics. He said this, quote, this was a politically motivated effort by radical homosexual and transgender groups to remove me as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court because of outspoken opposition to their immoral agenda. Well, Chuck Norris has given his backing ahead of this 2018 Senate run. Norris said this, quote, Judge Roy Moore is the real deal. He's tough, tested, and has a spine of steel. That rhymes. He went on to say this, The Washington establishment knows they won't be able to count on him, but Alabama voters can. Judge Moore has never backed down from standing for what is right, and that's exactly what he'll do in the U.S. Senate. That's why the Washington establishment is spending millions trying to defeat Judge Moore. There you go. He concluded Chuck Norris by saying, Alabama needs Judge Moore. They're doing what he's always done, fighting to protect our constitutional rights to life, religious liberty, and the freedom to protect ourselves and our families, and he will always put principle over politics. Moore responded by saying this, I couldn't be more thrilled and honored. He's apparently honored to have the great Chuck Norris endorse our campaign for U.S. Senate. That's Chuck Norris, and that's disgraced former Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, Roy Moore, who was removed from his position, but apparently that qualifies him now to run for Senate. And he, of course, will get votes. That's what's so incredible. And finally, a U.S. health insurance giant has apologized for telling a man he cannot have HIV-preventing drugs because of, quote, homosexual behavior. United Healthcare had faced online outrage after a letter to a gay man was made public in which the insurer refuses to provide the pre-exposure prophylaxis PrEP drug Truvada, which drastically lowers the chance of being infected with HIV. The letter to Thomas Siganko had said, quote, the request for coverage is denied. This decision is based on the health plan criteria for Truvada. The information sent in shows you are using this medicine for high-risk homosexual behavior. The baffling letter goes on to detail con the conditions for prescribing Truvada, suggesting that the man did not meet the criteria for pre-exposure prophylaxis to reduce the risk of sexually acquired HIV infection in adults at high risk. HIV activists were quick to respond, saying it was clear that men who have sex with men do meet the criteria, questioning United's procedures and branding the letter a, quote, malicious attempt to discourage PrEP uptake by people who need it most. Following a high-profile campaign, the insurer said in a statement that it, quote, regrets the wording in their letter. A statement said, quote, we apologize for the insensitive language appearing in the letter and regret any difficulty it caused. United Healthcare said it would make a number of changes to procedure following this little disagreement. They explained, we have corrected our letters, removed the prior authorization requirement for Truvada, and members can fill their prescription at the network pharmacy of their choice. The important part of this story is that look, change actually does happen when you use your voice. It is undeniable. Change happens, but it takes a lot to step up and say, I just got this letter. It's embarrassing to me, but I just got this letter. What can we do to change this policy? And people just got together and there was an outcry and policy changed, but nothing changes unless you use your voice. That is the message of this radio show. That is the message of Dana Goldberg. That is the message of every guest we've ever had on this show. Get out there, folks. Go use your voice the way you know how to use it to make a difference for your LGBTQ brothers and sisters, to make a difference for yourself, to make a difference for all of our allies out there. And while you're out there using your voice, while you're out there making a difference, please remember why be gay, 
when you can be so gay.